Do wolves make myths of men? Do they create stories in which humans are seen as examples of the ultimate embodiment of good or evil? They do not. To the wolf a human being is just another animal. Large Mammals of North America by L. F. Menslip If I wanted a one-sentence definition of human beings, this would do. Humans are the animals that believe the stories they tell about themselves. Each story has what we might call a dark side. It casts a shadow. The Philosopher and the Wolf Mark Rawlins The story that follows concerns the shadows of the stories we tell about ourselves and other animals. In the beginning I often walk at night there's no need to explain reasons why just now. More importantly, I walk in darkness. Darkness and night do not always go together in our world of electric lights and 24-hour living, but when you put them together, they have a special effect on the mind. Walk at night in near-total darkness and your senses are stimulated. You hear all the sounds of calling and moving animals. You see glimpses of movement that you can't quite grasp. Your brain works furiously to make sense of it all. And it is terrifying. Fascinating, but terrifying. Walking alone at night in lonely places is a time machine. It will take you back into the past. It will take you 10,000 years back into the past in an instant. In a single hour you will find that you are creating a mythology in your mind. You will be imagining dreadful spirits, ghosts, ghouls, werewolves, other strange and hideous beasts, and fearful animal-headed gods in the darkness. This mythology will be your own, but also it will borrow from stories and parts of stories you have read and heard, whole or in part, remembered with perfect clarity or buried deep in the caves, caverns and other dark places of your memory. It will be your personal picture of the universe, visible and invisible, but will also connect you to people who lived long ages ago and left the marks of their dreams and nightmares in the land you now call your own. You will, and this effect is heightened if it's a cold night, imagine yourself building a campfire and that campfire being civilization, the whole of civilization, and all beyond its light being alien and, well, terrifying. A whole of the natural and supernatural worlds are beyond that circle of light in your mind now, and they have their own motivations and desires, and you, you may be no more than a meal for some of the things that populate those worlds. Then you think some more and wonder if there might be worse things you could end up being than a meal. And then, naturally, you think, what if? What if all those figures out there in the darkness, or in your mind, or in the darkness of your mind, that have been waiting back there in the deepest, darkest corner of your mind, were real? And perhaps you still have quite a long way to go before you reach home. That's from the introduction to my book, Animals, by J. E. Lynch. Looking at them with greedy eyes, 
On a winter's night in that first year, he woke to hear wolves in the low hills to the west of the house, and he knew that they would be coming out onto the plain in the new snow to run the antelope in the moonlight. He pulled his breeches off the footboard of the bed and got his shirt and his blanket-lined ducking coat and got his boots from under the bed and went out to the kitchen and dressed in the dark by the faint warmth of the stove and held the boots to the window light to pair them left and right and pulled them on and rose and went to the kitchen door and stepped out and closed the door behind him. When he passed the barn, the horses whimpered softly to him in the cold. The snow creaked under his boots and his breath smoked in the bluish light. An hour later, he was crouched in the snow in the dry creek bed where he knew the wolves had been using by their tracks in the, in the sand of the washes, by their tracks in the snow. They were already out on the plain and when he crossed the gravel fan, where the creek ran south into the valley he could see where they'd crossed before him. He went forward on knees and elbows with his hands pulled back into his sleeves to keep them out of the snow and when he reached the last of the small dark juniper trees where the broad valley ran under the animus peaks he crouched quietly to steady his breath and then raised himself slowly and looked out. They were running on the plain harrying the antelope, and the antelope moved like phantoms in the snow and circled and wheeled and the dry powder blew about them in the cold moonlight and their breath smoked palely in the cold as if they burned with some inner fire and the wolves twisted and turned and leapt in a silence such that they seemed of another world entire. They moved down the valley and turned and moved far out on the plain until they were the smallest of figures in that dim whiteness and then they disappeared. And that's from the first section of Cormac McCarthy's book, The Crossing. And I always, particularly when I talk about The Crossing and think about The Crossing, I always talk about that first section because I think on its own that first section is one of the best works of literature I've ever encountered. And it's about, um, that first section is, uh, has is a, has something to do with, a lot to do with wolves and one individual wolf um, in particular. And yes, I am uh, by proximity making some kind of comparison between my own work and um, the work of Cormac McCarthy and I won't apologise for that. Um, if I don't, who will, huh? So, um, yes. Like anybody with any sense, and any sense of imagination, I'm fascinated by wolves, and I have been since I was a small child. Fascinated by films about wolves, fascinated by books about wolves, whether they're fiction or whether they're documentaries. Um, I've read all the, the sort of best popular science books uh, about wolf behavior, David L. Meck and Barry Lopez and people like that. The most fascinating thing that I um, have ever read in any of those books was a discussion of how many actual hours of wild wolf behavior have ever been really observed and recorded scientifically. And when you do those calculations, you realize that nearly everything, percentage-wise, nearly everything 
that we quote unquote know about the behavior of wolves is based on the behavior of captive wolves and only a tiny percentage i can't remember it exactly but it was something under five percent it was tiny of the hours of wolf behavior that's actually been observed and recorded scientifically um, has to do with wolves who are genuinely wild so essentially we know almost nothing about how wild wolves really behave and that's the the essence of what wolves um you know why wolves fascinate us i think is because they're genuinely mysterious apart from being a big beautiful slightly scary um mammal um being enough like dogs um who are man's best friend to um to intrigue us and attract us in that way too the mystery is a huge part of why people are attracted to wolves and you know i really like this again another one of those books is someone talking to um inuit people native native um indigenous people in um i think it was canada or uh, some part of north america where they actually have more interaction with wolves in the course of their normal lives than 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 most people do and it was a particular scientist he's saying he would ask he thought it was sensible um to ask those people the people in the local community where he where he was when he was trying to study wolves questions about wolves but he realized that he would ask people someone a question a member of the of the indigenous people there and say um he'd ask them a question and and they would the answer would always be yes so he would say things like do wolves like dogs and someone would say yes and they'd say well the wolves hate dogs um and another person or the same person might say yes um and you know do are wolves friendly for instance um yes are wolves aggressive yes um so he started to realize well there was something up with this so he, he actually had the good sense then to to have a proper conversation with someone and um and get to know what was going on a little bit better and and the person he spoke to said yeah the, the answer is always yes because wolves are individuals um there's nothing you can say about just like with people there's nothing you can say um about people that's universally true for all people so and it's exactly the same for wolves they're that complicated um they're that complicated and they are individuals they're not you can't just talk about them as an individual wolf is just a unit of a species they're not they have personalities in the way that we I, I, you know just exactly in the way that people have personalities in the way that we think about personalities um so are wolves aggressive yeah um some of them are uh some of them are just plain mean and are wolves not aggressive yeah some of them are some of them are just plain cuddly um do wolves like dogs some of them like dogs do wolves hate dogs some of them will kill, a, kill any dog they see on site because they just don't like them and it's you know not necessarily to do with them their behavior as a as part of a species it's because that they because they are individual um in the, that they're individuals in the same way and to the same extent that we as human beings are individuals But what is today's film, I hear you ask? Well, today's film is a stop-motion, short stop-motion film by Susie Templeton of Prokotiev's Peter and the Wolf. Susie Templeton is an English director. She, um, she hasn't directed 
many films. I mean, I say that obviously advisedly because, as we all know, uh, stop motion animation is very labor intensive. She, um, her first short film came out in 1999. It's called Stanley. Uh, her graduate project from, um, from art school was called Dog, came out in 2001. And then 2006, her version of Peter and the Wolf came out. I haven't been able to see Stanley. I think it's available on an old compilation of, um, of graduate work or, or student work um, uh, in animation. But I haven't really been, been, I haven't been able to see it. Dog is available on, on YouTube to see. Dog from 2001 is a brilliant short stop motion animation about um, a father and son um, whose uh, wife, mother, has very recently died and whose dog is now dying. And I, I won't um, sort of reveal the twist. It's a little bit cheap to say it's a, a twist. It's just a, it's just a, a very good um, final scene, this great final moment in it, um, which will break your heart if you have a heart to break. Um, but it's very well worth watching. It's under it, under six minutes, um, so I won't I won't spoil it for you in 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 that way. Peter and the Wolf, as I said, I think came out in two thousand and six, and it's her version of Prokotiev, Sergei Prokotiev's um, story for the orchestra. Um, Prokotiev wrote um, in the early part of the twentieth century. He wrote a piece to introduce. He's a um, Russian composer, he wrote this piece, Peter and the Wolf, to introduce children to the the orchestra and the different instruments of the orchestra. It's a story of a boy, Peter, who lives on a farm or rurally uh, with his grandfather, and he has friends. Uh, he's a friend who is a duck, a friend who is a bird, um, a quote-unquote friend who's a cat. He never really trusts cats. Um, they get a bad reputation in art, um, but he, you know, he has those friends who he plays with. He's, he's get the impression he's quite a lonely boy, and um, Susie Templeton will, she will um, emphasize that in her version of, of the story. But he he plays outside with those with those animals every day, and he's warned all the time to be careful of the wolf, the big bad wolf who lives in the in the forest. It's that classic idea of the rural land bordering the wilds and the threats, um, the threats of nature, the threats of, of of wildness on the edge of civilization. Peter does encounter a wolf uh, in the story. All the all the different animals and Peter uh, they, and the hunters and uh, the grandfather they're all represented by different uh, instruments or groups of instruments, and that's introduced at the beginning of the story by a narrator um, and that's the sort of fulfills that idea of that that promise that is going to introduce kids to to the orchestra and the different instruments that are in the orchestra and what they sound like and in the story in the story uh peter is very he's very brave he's very uh um capable uh, ingenious he manages to trap the wolf catch the wolf 
after the wolf has swallowed the duck, has eaten his friend the duck, Sasha the duck. But um, he captures the wolf. The hunters come along. They want to kill the wolf. But Peter, um, in the old version, the original version, he doesn't want to kill the wolf. He wants to bring the wolf to a zoo. And the we find out as well that the wolf, the wolf has swallowed the duck whole. So the, the duck is still inside his stomach. The original version, that's all you kind of find out as far as I can remember. But uh, there are versions out there where where the duck gets sort of coughed up again or the duck the duck gets saved i think depending on how people want to um how people want to how nasty people think children can 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 take things now in susie templeton's version the duck is definitely eaten the duck is definitely dead uh, which is is sad. Peter is a um, a real tough little kid. Is it? The stop motion animation animation that she uses is wonderful. The um, the faces of the children, the faces of the child in dog, the face of the child in dog, the face of the which is very similar to the face of the slightly older Peter in Peter and the Wolf, and the the combination of youth and age. Um, that depiction of a child whose face shows that you know they're a child who's had a, a tough life is is amazingly well done sculpturally um really really well done um and peter and the wolf or peter and the wolf is about half an hour long there's no narration it's silent apart from the apart from the 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 music the the her cut of the of the of Prokofiev's music and the story is a little bit different from the original Peter and the Wolf or anybody else's Peter and the Wolf and you know again I'm going to just really encourage you to go out and find um, Susie Templeton's Peter and the Wolf and watch it and um, I won't tell you how it ends I won't tell you how um, how she how she decides to end the story but um i find it very satisfying i find it much i find it much better than the i find it kind of realer i find it more satisfying than than uh, any of the other versions of peter and the wolf that i have ever seen not long after Peter and the Wolf came out, about two years after Peter and the Wolf came out, Susie Templeton joined um, what's described in Wikipedia as a roster of animation directors at Tandem Films. And apparently at that point, she was supposed to be directing uh, a film, a short film based on Lauren Child's children's book, The Pesky Rats. That hasn't seen the light of day. And actually, almost nothing has since then. Um, She seems to have been involved in, I think, one, one film called Return to Nix, um, a sort of medium-length film called Return to Nix. I'm not sure exactly what her role on that was, though, because she wasn't the director of that film. Um, and otherwise, nothing. There's mention of um, of a, a feature length film called Spitzbergen, um, but other than that, nothing has actually 
seen the light of day. Nothing's come, nothing's come out, um, which is a, a great shame because she is a, a really fine filmmaker, a really great filmmaker. And it'd be great to see. Um, first of all, if you're someone like me, you tend to immediately think that there's some kind of personal tragedy behind behind all of this, that there's something terrible going on um, that's getting in the way of her getting her work out or holding her up. And I really hope there isn't. But also, it's a, it is a loss that we've only got these three short films, very short films that, that she's made because um, the two that I've seen, uh, Dog and Peter and the Wolf, are two of the very best, maybe the best animation I've ever seen and two of the best short films that, I, that I've ever seen. I really highly encourage everybody to go and, and, and have a look at them. And now, this is how things stood. The cat was sitting on one branch. The bird on another. Not too close to the cat. And the wolf walked round and round the tree, looking at them with greedy eyes. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you are enjoying the podcast, um, there are a few things you can do. If you can, if you want to, and if you have the means to, you can go to the Ko-Fi website um, and you can leave a one-off donation to help support the work that I'm doing here. That's um, ko-fi forward slash my picture house you can like the page there and you can as i say make a one-off donation if you have the means to do that and if you'd like to do that um if you can't do that and i completely understand if you can't or don't want to um what you could do instead is um follow the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it now right now whatever platform you're listening to it on um whether it's iTunes or Spotify or Google or CastBox, um, like it, follow it, subscribe to it, whatever it's called on the on the app that you're using um, or the platform that you're using. And please do that right now. Um, also, if you have been thinking about giving the podcast a review, uh, I'd appreciate it if you would 
give the podcast a review right now. Um, obviously, I'd love if it was a five star review. Um, but you know, as long as it's a, an honest review, um, then I'm I would love to love to hear any and all reviews. Um, I would also just like to hear from you if you're listening to the podcast and you've been listening to the episodes up to now then I will bet that you're the kind of person who has some stories to tell about films that have had a huge influence on your life or um, what the cinema has meant and does mean to you Um, and you can share those stories if you would like you can follow me on twitter at picturehousepod and or you could email me at so you could email me at picturehousepod at gmail.com and send me your stories and I would be very, very happy to read them and share them if you if you would let me share them. Um, so yes, with all that said, all that remains to be said is thank you so much for um, your time and your support. I hope you're enjoying the episodes so far. We're going to keep going. We're going to um, make things as good as we can and you can, by doing the things that I've just talked about, uh, help to to make better things happen and to make the podcast bigger and better. And it is something that we can all do a little bit together. But for now, Sloan, August Bannock, and um, thanks again. Um, this is Jamie Lynch. Uh, talk to you next time. Bye.